0: Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If this podcast has encouraged you in any way, we'd like to ask you to leave a review for Truth Wars on whichever platform you listen on. Now, here's Olin. Let's open up to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be talking about forgiveness all quarter. And really the first three weeks, we're going to look a lot more at uh, God's forgiveness of us. Um, which can sound so basic, it's like, do we really need to talk about that much more? But I think we probably do. Uh, But the the goal really is to lay a foundation, maybe of a deeper, fuller, better understanding of God's forgiveness of us, so then that we can move more to the horizontal practice of forgiveness that we're commanded to practice with other Christians and even non-Christians. Okay, so uh, if if you wanted a title for this lesson, it might be the sin after the sin. All right, so let's start in Genesis chapter 2. Let's look in verse um, 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And then skip down to verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So, When God first made Adam and Eve, uh, everything was wonderful. And yes, there was a prohibition, okay, but primarily, and we often forget this, it was like this, and I I think I heard somebody else say this, and I've forgotten who. Basically, God, our God, he is the God of a thousand yeses before he's the God of one no, right? we, We all remember, yeah, God said, don't eat from that one tree, but did you see what he said before that? He said, from all the other trees in the garden, you can eat freely. And literally in the Hebrew, it says, devour, devour, Right? If you wanted to emphasize something, you'd repeat the word. It's like, have a feast, have a feast. Eat you to your heart's content. All these trees, do whatever you want. Have a great time. Just one tree. Trust me, can't eat from this tree. He makes a woman, okay? They've got marriage. I mean, what more could they have asked for? Naked and unashamed is not just talking physically. I mean, it's psychologically, mentally, emotionally. It's the deepest kind of intimacy. Nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing to fake with one another, with God. They were just free. To enjoy. Okay? But we know it didn't last long. The best understanding is literally, probably on day one, Satan came into the garden to tempt them. And so that's what we're going to look at. Uh, so the first point would just be fall, the fall of man. Okay? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. So this is the fall of man. And the way it happens is Satan comes in and technically in one sense, he never tells like a full outright lie. He's much too crafty for that. There's just some insinuations. There's just some questions that get her and Adam both doubting, wondering curious I mean it starts out trying to get them to doubt his word did God really say that are you sure you're remembering that right and listen this may be thousands of years ago an ancient story but in, in very similar ways we may not have a talking snake in our bedroom speaking to us okay but do not the same thoughts go through our mind and through the mind of the church and the culture we sure this is what God really said and what he really meant This seems kind of harsh seems kind of severe seems kind of too much does it really work in 21st century America? starting to doubt his word. But let's, let's give Eve her credit. She stood strong at first. No, nope, it's not right. You got it wrong. We can eat from all these trees. Just one tree this problem. Okay. And then he says, you're not going to die. Don't worry about God's consequences. I mean, how prevalent is that one today, right? Again, even among evangelicals, are we sure the Bible really teaches eternal conscience, torment and hell forever for unbelievers? That sounds pretty harsh. How about annihilationism? That sounds a lot more easy. And listen, I'll be honest. I get it. I get that concern. It it makes a lot of sense emotionally. It just doesn't make any sense biblically. But there are a lot of people that wrestle with that. Doubt God's word. Doubt God's consequences. But here's where it really gets serious. What really happens in verse 5, and it's so subtle, but this is the lie that made them take the forbidden fruit. And Sinclair Ferguson says this lie has essentially entered the bloodstream of all humanity since that day is doubt God's goodness, doubt God's love. (laughs) He's not really a God of blessing. He's a God of burden. He's not really trying to help you. He's trying to hinder you. He's trying to hold you back. He's the man. He's the oppressor. He's making you work in his garden, and you can't eat all the fruits of your labor? That's not fair. That's not good. You need to rise up. You need to rebel. Now, just a side note but I think it'll be helpful for us. The deepest root of any and every sin that any human being ever struggles with in all of our life is is doubt. Or you could say fear. Okay? But think about, I think it's Romans 14, 23. Anything that is not from what? Anybody know? Anything that's not from faith is sin. So, So the deepest core of righteousness is faith. And the deepest core root of sin is our doubt, is our fear, is our unbelief. So once they start to question, everything has seemed wonderful, but Satan makes a good point. Why is God holding that tree back from us? Maybe that's the best tree. Maybe that's the most tasty fruit. Maybe there is some kind of supernatural knowledge. seems like God has knowledge we don't have. seems like even this serpent has some knowledge we don't have. They start to wonder. Listen, if the deepest root of our sin is doubt, the next root right up from that is pride. Because here's how the logic works in our mind. We say, you know what? If God's not really going to provide for me everything that's best for me, quick enough, well, then who is going to provide for me? <coughs> and what's the most obvious answer? Me. Okay? Me. I was teaching this one time. One guy said, I was going to say the government, you know, but it's like, well, this is long before you didn't have a government, right? So it was Adam, it was Eve, it was God, it was a serpent. It's like, if God's not going to provide for me, I must provide for myself. I must take matters into my own hands to make sure I get the best stuff in life. I get my best life now. And by golly, if I got to break a couple rules to do it, so be it, right? Got to break a couple of eggs to get an omelette. So they sin. So there's the fall. But the second point is this, now they're fallen, they're broken, it affects them. Look at verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you came to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. So, as soon as they sinned, they instantly knew something was wrong. Right? In some sense, there was, again, an element of truth in what the serpent had said. Their eyes were opened, just not in the way that they wanted and expected. Now there's this crushing sense of guilt. And more than that, there's this overwhelming, kind of oppressive sense of shame. Now, at a very layman's level, different people define this stuff different way. Okay, but guilt has more the sense of I did something wrong. Right, my deed was wrong, my action was wrong, my thought was wrong, my word was wrong. Shame is much deeper. It's like no, 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 not just I did something wrong. I am something wrong. Something's broken in me. Something's not right about me. Just a side note, okay, because there's a, there, even even in a lot of the Christian world, there's this thing of oh, shame's bad. You should never feel shame. That's not true. <laughs> There's a lot of truth in shame. The question is this. What do you do with that shame? How do you deal with that shame? That, that's where the problem comes. But a sense of shame, sometimes it can be wrong. Right? If somebody has been victimized and something was totally done to them, they had no participation in it, but they feel terrible about it, that's, a, that's misplaced shame. But when we have voluntarily chosen sin, participated in sin, there's a right sense of shame. You should feel bad. You should feel wrong. So they feel this, but this is what I mean by the sin after the sin. I mean, let's, you know, sometimes people will ask a question in Sunday school class and they'll say, don't give me the Sunday school answer, right? Okay? I'm not doing that right now. I'm going to ask you a question and I do want the Sunday school answer, all right? So what should have Adam and Eve done as soon as they bit the forbidden fruit and they started to feel guilt and shame, what should have been their instantaneous next reaction? Repentance. What's that? Repentance. Okay. Repentance, yeah. Run to God. We're sorry. Right? Confession. Forgive us. We need forgiveness. We're sorry. But what is their reaction? Hiding, Hiding, blaming, running. Right? It's anything but that. (laughs) Right? I mean, there's no repentance here. There's no running to God. There's a running away from God. Listen, here's the way I like to say it just because it helps me kind of remember it in my mind. They should have run to God and said... Forgiveness, forgive us. Rather, they ran away from God and said, I got this. I can fix this. Watch this. (laughs) So, they get the biggest leaves they can find, the fig leaves. They try to build aprons for themselves. Which is just another side note. Which relationship should Adam and Eve have been most concerned about (laughs) as soon as they sinned? What should have been the primary relationship that they were concerned about? Again, Sunday school answer, please. That relationship with God, right? But what was the first relationship that they were most worried about? One another. Let's just be real honest with ourselves for a second. The last time you sinned, you shouldn't have to think back very long, right? Back in the 90s, right? I mean, (laughs) yesterday. What was the first relationship that you and I were worried about? Was it really, I've grieved the heart of my Father in heaven? Or was it more, I hope nobody else finds out about this? Hope somebody doesn't get mad at me. Guys, we're warped. We're fallen. We're broken. So they try to fix it. But here's the thing. All our efforts at fig leaf righteousness to cover ourselves up, to put our best foot forward, it never works. It never works, does it? It it might seem like it worked a little while at the human level, but it never works at the divine level. Because as soon as God comes calling and there's a sense of conviction, the fig leaves were not enough anymore, were they? Like, i got to run and hide behind a tree. Fig leaves weren't big enough. I need something bigger. You know, you remember the old Jaws uh, movie when they finally see Jaws in all his glory? (laughs) We're going to need a bigger boat, right? Fig leaves might work. With my spouse. Once God comes near, it's like, I need a bigger hiding place. But even this doesn't work. Okay, I mean, they're running deeper into their shame. They're running deeper into their harm. Okay, it's a terrible cycle. Okay. Uh, There's a great commentator on Genesis named Derek Kidner. Right, he says, shrinking from God remains part of our fallen condition. Just think about this for a second. Um, How is it in your life and in my life Again, in practical modern day twenty first century America, if I want to hide from other people, my sin, how do we do it? Practically. What does it look like? Avoidance. Okay, avoidance. Don't don't hang out with those people that might ask me certain questions. Anything else? Pretense. Okay. Pretense. Right? Let me just talk about the good stuff. Put put forward my best foot. Always be ready to share a story about how great I am. Anything else? What's that? Yeah, lying. I mean, yeah, it just leads to more. I'll tell a lie if I have to. Anything else? Okay, how about this? What about, okay, when a good 21st century American evangelical, let's get more specific, Broadwood Presbyterian Presbyterian person who comes to Sunday school regularly, if that person wants to hide from God... And we know all the right theology, right? God is everywhere. You can't hide from God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the heat of the moment, when you feel like, no, 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 I want to hide from the manifest presence of God, the nearness of God, what do you do? What's that? Okay, you quit coming to church. That's one way. Don't read the Word. What's that? Don't read the Word. Quit reading the Bible? Actually, you could go to church and you could do all that stuff and make it look like you're living a good you life. You can go to church and fake it. You can think it really well, just not pay attention, right? Here's what it is for me. What about for a guy in full-time ministry? It's like, I can't get away from this stuff, right? I get fired. So I gotta think it really good. So here's what I've noticed in my own life. If I have a sense I want to hide from God, part of what I do is I stay busy. And I stay busy with really good stuff. But I don't want any silence. So even when I'm in the car, it's like turning on the radio. Don't, don't. And, and, you know, and I've tried to diagnose my own heart sometimes. Why am I doing this? Okay. Because at some level, I'm fearful the Holy Spirit might come close and convict me of something. And I don't want to be convicted. But you see, that leads back to that same kind of fear and doubt. Why? Because my heart has this suspect, if God draws near to convict me, it might be to hurt me. Which is such a lie. I know that's not true, right? I'm standing up here teaching this, but that's not true. And yet there's still some little stream in my heart that subtly can go there. So they try to hide from God behind the trees. And this is what's so beautiful, guys. It's kind of a side note. If you, We won't take the time to go back and do it. But if you just look back at the verses we read in chapter 2, it refers to God over and over. The Lord God. The Lord God. And the idea there is, He's the covenant-keeping God. He's a covenant-making God. He's a relational God. And did you notice when Satan was speaking in Genesis chapter 3, he didn't refer to him that way. He's just God. He's just the creator. He's just the powerful one. There's no relational. There's no covenant. But then when he starts talking about God coming into the garden, he's the Lord God. Because listen, he was coming, (laughs) pursuing them relationally to try to call them to repentance. And all the things we do to kind of stiff arm and put God off, what we're really doing is we're just putting off Mercy. God's coming in mercy. He's rich in mercy. And in a sense, we're saying, no, no, I think I'll place another hurdle between me and mercy. Hmm. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're struggling with, if you're in Christ, you ne- even if you're not in Christ, honestly, you can come to Christ right now. You never have to stay in your guilt and your shame for one second. Just come to Him. No preparation. He's just coming to Him. Okay. Um, now, God's calling them. And again, y'all know this. But God is not a detective here trying to solve a crime because he doesn't know what's going on. He's not like, what happened to you guys? I lost you. <laughs> this is more like when you tell your kids after dinner, right? Hey, go brush your teeth, get ready for bed. And they come back to give you a kiss for bed and their breath smells terrible. And you're like, did you brush your teeth? You already know the answer. What are you, you're trying to elicit a confession. You want to be merciful. If you're your parents, you love them. And yes, you want to push them to do the right thing. That's what God's doing. Now, look at how Adam responds at first, about the same way we do. God says, where are you? And again, this is not a physical question, where are you? This is a spiritual question, where are you? Uh, well, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. He talks all about the symptoms. He doesn't call any about the cause. You see that? Here's what happened, God. will And really, again, in Hebrew, the first word in the sentence, which is another way you can emphasize things in Hebrews, is, you're sound. And it's kind of like, God, you scared me. The way you came into the garden today was just a little too loud and scary. This is all your fault, God. But he didn't even talk about, well, there's this whole sinful, naked thing. Right? Just scared. Blame shifted. He kind of talks about the nakedness, but he doesn't get to the real root of it. So God, again, who told you you're naked, he has to ask him, Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you? Hey, buddy, did you tell a lie to daddy? And that's basically what he's doing. And then notice, I mean, again, we are are experts at minimizing, blame-shifting, spinning, right? I mean, look at what, again, if you want to emphasize something in Hebrew, you put it at the front of the sentence, all right? Just keep that in mind, and then read this sentence, all right, in verse 12, and look how Adam does it. The woman whom you... Gave to be with me. She gave me from the trees. Like it's all these other people's fault. But yes, I guess technically, I gave in. I'm, I'm you know. So it's like it's mainly you and Eve's fault. And then I guess I'm like one percent guilty, God. Now, I, I call this Bill Clinton repentance. Okay, and I'm not trying to make a political statement. Right? I could, if I thought hard enough, I could come up with a Republican. That's not the point. I'm just he kind of had the famous one, right? Where he's like. Didn't have relations with that woman. Didn't have a relationship. And then it was like, no, we caught you. There's evidence. It's like, okay, yeah, you got me. It's like, at some level, that doesn't even count, right? Listen, if, if, if I'm going to be gone a few weeks, Eric's going to ask different people to teach, and if Eric ever says, hey, I want you to teach next week. Olin's going to be out of town, and I want you to teach a lesson on repentance and confession. Don't use Adam and Eve as an example because they're terrible examples. This is like the worst example of confession and repentance in the whole Bible. Makes sense? And Eve, she follows Adam's lead. This kind of a side note, but it's an important one. You know, Pastor Reader, one of the things he says that's really good is he says, leadership works, period. So if it's good leadership, it'll have good effects. Bad leadership, it'll have bad effects. Husbands, you're the leader whether you want to be or not. No, we're, we're not into all that. We're more modern and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. You're the leader whether you want to be the leader, whether you feel like the leader or not. And the way that you lead will trickle down for better or worse. So Adam goes into blame shift mode, and guess what? Eve follows. Yeah, it wasn't my fault. It was the serpent's fault. They both do it. Now, kind of the logic of this passage seems like it's going to go something like this. Fall, then there's fallen, and then there's like fallenest. Or there's fallen forever. Or they're stuck in their fallenness. I don't know the right word to do that, okay? But that's not the third point. The third point is this. Forgiveness. And, and I hope what happens to all of us, myself included, is almost a little bit of shock. I mean, really, what it ought to be was fall, fallen, and damnation. That ought to be point three. Wrath, hell. The whole story should have just been over right then. And let me just say this. I mean, hypothetically, if it was, we wouldn't be here reading it, but if somehow we were aliens on another planet reading the story, you realize what we would still say about God is He's totally glorious, He's totally just, He's totally righteous. He's totally worthy of our worship. And let me just kind of make this point in a little bit of a strange way. Camp Cyrus Beach Project that we do, uh, where we have a lot of students go down the beach and there's discipleship and all that. Uh, A few years ago, I had one of the guys who was a kind of student leader, so he was a discipleship group leader, and he came to me and he said, Hey, I got a weird problem I never dealt with before. I said, Okay, what is it? He said, Well, I got this guy in my discipleship group, supposedly a new Christian, and every time we pray, he keeps praying for the devil to get saved. And he's like, I don't know what to do with that. And I was like, man, I've been in ministry a long time, I never heard that one, you know, so at least the guy's creative, right? And he said, yeah, but what should I do? I said, well, I mean, you might come in and he's like, wow, that sounds like a lot of mercy in your heart, you want Satan to be saved. I said, but number one, you need to tell him to stop praying for that, Okay. And mainly because the Bible makes it very clear. There's no hope for Satan. He's going to hell. It's the, the end is written. Look at Revelation. But I, he said, okay, but I don't want it to be like this confrontation. I said, well, you actually can turn it into a really good thing. And he said, well, how can I do that? I said, because this, there, there, there's a truth in this conversation that a lot of us miss. Is that when Satan first fell with all the angelic hosts that fell with him, all the demons... There's no record that there was ever even any consideration of mercy. I mean, literally, when Satan rebelled, it's like literally God said, to hell with you. Be damned forever. No second chance. No hope. No mercy. No, we'll have the second person of the Trinity become an angel, live among the demons. None of that. And You see, why did I read verse 14 with this point? It's because God just instantly pronounces wrath on Satan. So then, right after that, I mean, what do you think Adam and Eve must have been thinking? It's like, I'm not even going to say exactly what I'm thinking because I'll probably get in trouble for saying it in Sunday school, right? But a sense of, oh no, (coughs) look what God just did to the snake. I wonder what we're about to get. But that's not what he does. He gives forgiveness. And guys, if nothing else, in some sense this is a very basic lesson but in nothing else I hope for you and for me that there's a fresh sense of shock and awe our God's a God of mercy Martin Luther has this great quote where he says wrath is God's strange work and at first you're like what does that mean is that like a German thing or something and here's what he's saying God will show wrath but he doesn't like to show wrath it's not what he normally does And guys, I think if most of us get gut level honest, we think of God more as, no, 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 wrath is like his normal thing and mercy is like the weird thing. But the reverse is true. God loves to show mercy. God will show wrath, but he doesn't enjoy it. God delights to show mercy. He delights to have grace on us. So look, while he's still cursing Satan, look at verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, and pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, curse it as the ground because of you, and told you eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, and for your dust, and to dust you shall return. Okay, so he speaks to all three of them, but there's a curse on Satan directly, and even in the curse to Satan did you hear the promise. Adam and Eve, you deserve to die today, but you're not going to die going to stay alive. You're going to have babies. And one day, there's going to be a baby that's going to do battle with Satan. He's going to be tempted and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. And even when he gets to the curses to Adam and Eve, it's more of a glancing blow. He doesn't directly curse Adam. He doesn't directly curse Eve. He more curses their domain. Woman is cursed in the relationships. Anybody want to argue with that one? Relationships for women tend to be hard. They're harder for all of us, right? But seems to be a lot of trauma in female relationships here's a reason how many men are kind of like I kind of love my job I kind of hate my job I kind of feel like it's a fit and it's working and then other times I'm like what the freak am I doing with my life it feels like there's thorns and thistles everywhere we're not cursed directly we're cursed in our domain e- listen even in God's cursing on humanity there's grace and mercy do you see that? put it down in there okay? Look at verse 20 and 21. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed him. You ever wondered, wonder if Adam and Eve gonna be in heaven? Yes. Okay. Verse 20. How many kids do they have at this point? Zero. But Adam says, I'm gonna nickname you Mama. Why is he doing that? Because he says, I heard God's promise. I don't understand all of it, but I understand the part about we're going to stay alive when we have babies. This was a step of faith. This was a step of hope. God's a good God. He's a forgiving God. He's not going to kill us. He said he's going to kill us. He's having mercy on us. And he leads out in that. And listen, guys. Even Satan didn't die that day. Right? Uh so merciful I was sharing the gospel one time with a college student and he's a typical kind of grew up in the south in church at Sanford good looking guy understands everything successful you know school seems like everything's going for him but I'm really trying to ask him a lot of questions because what am I trying to understand does he really get it does he really understand the gospel has he really trusted in Christ because if not if he has a successful career right he's physically healthy he gets married he has kids everything goes great for him but he dies and goes to hell what's the point It's all worthless, right? I mean, This is the foundational point for all of us, for our kids, for everybody you know. Do you really deeply understand the forgiveness of God? And listen, the more you understand the forgiveness of God at the vertical level between you and Him, not not just understand it, we're experts in the PCA of understanding stuff, but experiencing it, relishing in it, delighting in it, it will start to overflow in your heart and you'll start to practice it more at the horizontal level with the people that sin against you because really quick I promise we're almost done think about this passage guys Adam sinned against Eve that day with his passivity and his poor leadership just standing there letting Satan talk to her and he didn't say nothing Eve sinned against Adam that day because she tempted him and led him into sin but you don't just see them getting restored to God at the end of this passage you see them getting restored to each other right? right? Adam didn't just say, hey, I'm going to trust in God. You do whatever the heck you want, woman. He was kind of like, no, 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 We're going to trust in God together. We're friends again. We're going to stay together. Have babies. It's going to be great. The more we really understand and experience forgiveness, not only does it take us deeper in our walk with the Lord, it takes us deeper in our walk with one another. Okay? Even Satan didn't die that day. But some little innocent animal did die that day. Some animal in the garden had to die for no sin of its own but for the sin of Adam and Eve so that God could say, your loin claws aren't working. Let me make you some skins that will cover you and protect you. And this is the very first foreshadowing of the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world coming to the earth with no sin of his own and being slaughtered by the wrath of God that you and I deserve so that in him we can be covered with the royal righteousness of Christ and protected eternally from the wrath of God. Derek Kidner said, you can't hide from God. You can only hide in God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We don't love you near enough. We don't obey You near enough. We don't beg for Your forgiveness near enough after we do sin. Lord, I do pray for everybody here, myself included, maybe myself most of all, Lord, that there would be a fresh sense of adoration for You, specifically because You are a God that delights to show mercy, that enjoys to lavish grace upon Your people. Your mercies are new every morning, Lord. We need it every morning. Help us understand, help us experience more of your love, your grace, your mercy, and then help us go practice it more for your glory and for our joy. pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have any questions for Olin, please email him at olin.stubbs at campusoutreach.org.